Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Always glad to have Danielle with us, amen, to see her sneak in back there. Grateful for her being with us tonight, amen, as well. Acts chapter 13, we will move on to 14 next week, amen. Acts chapter 13, here this evening, and I'll try to be mindful of our time here uh, tonight. Verse number 42, verse number 42 starting, and uh, just kind of a point of information, I'll probably... Uh, After I read these, I'll probably be walking through them almost like a verse-by-verse type scenario here this evening. But the Bible says in verse 42, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The Bible says in verse 44, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city city together to hear the word of the Lord, of God rather. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They're filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Tonight I've entitled this very simply, The Great, the great Divide. The Great Divide. The whole summary of this, folks, is this. Everybody in these verses all had the same opportunity. They heard the same message. Had been given even the advantage of more than one time hearing the same message. And it came down, some were going to be unto eternal life, and others had accounted themselves unworthy of eternal life. Not because Paul and Barnabas had said it, not because they had each received a different message, but it was all based upon each's receptivity to the Word of God that was spoken into their life. It all comes down to the will of mankind. Amen. So there is a great divide. Father, I come to you this evening. Lord, thankful again for being here in this place. We're thankful for your spirit, God, that we have already felt and witnessed, God, lives, Lord, bodies, God, that have been touched, Lord, and ministered to in this place this evening. I thank you, Lord, now. God, help us, Lord Jesus, God, through the study of this word of God in the book of Acts. God, speak to us, Lord Jesus, through it, and will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Church, say amen. You may be seated. Start out with just a little 
concept here of the great divide to wrap our minds around. About 15 years ago, I preached a sermon called The Great Divide, and I started it as this because it encompasses the idea of the great divide quite well. It says there is a ridge of mountains in North America separating the streams that flow west into the Pacific Ocean from those that flow east into the Atlantic Ocean. And if you look at a map of the Rocky Mountain states, you will notice a serpentine line that winds its way from north to south, tracing through some of the highest peaks and roughest terrain in the United States. Most of the line follows the crest of the Rocky Mountains. On a mountain in the Rockies up in Canada, where there is a watershed, a watershed that divides one side of the continent from the other side. There is an arch that has been erected there with the words plainly wrought on that rustic structure, this, quote-unquote, the Great Divide. Because drops of water or rain falling in the very same shower separate there at that location. Some will join a stream that becomes a mighty river and flows to the Atlantic Ocean while others are falling in another direction into another stream that flows to join the Pacific Ocean. And though both these drops of water may fall in the very same shower, the very same rain, their destinies are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart because they hit this point and they both go their separate directions. And so that is, in essence, a concept of a great destiny, both having the same opportunity, being exposed to the same things, but the end result, destinies differ because of the direction that each seem to go. And so with that being said, chapter 13 is about people that are poised for a destiny based upon how they do or do not engage the Word of God and the God of the Word. Verse 42 tells us tonight that the Jews were gone out of the synagogue. You'll remember that that was a notable place that Paul and Barnabas hit in these different cities and towns, the synagogues, because they knew Jews were going to be there. They knew some converted Gentiles to Judaism were going to be there, so it seemed like a good place to start. Paul has just finished this lengthy message we talked about two weeks ago, I believe it was. He's just finished that lengthy message, and so now, you know, church is over. They're shaking hands, fellowship, and talking about they're going to go eat at McDonald's. And uh, they're departing from uh, the synagogue, and the Jews have gone out of the synagogue. And as everybody's leaving, even these Gentiles, remember the God-fearers, those who were converted Gentiles to Judaism, they're God-fearers. The Gentiles, now the, you, know, you know the Spirit of God was moving in the synagogue because of what they're about ready to request. The Gentiles besought Paul and Barnabas and said, Hey, guys, would you preach these words, these same words to us, Next Sabbath, next time we have, you know the Spirit of God is moving. When the saints come to the preacher after church, say, we want to hear the exact same thing next week. <laughs> I'm telling you what, there was a Spirit of the Lord. Amen. It was, but, but the Gentiles wanted to hear the exact same words preached unto them again the next Sabbath. So that is just a wonderful thing. Two, same message, two weekends in a row. Amen. They, they wanted to hear. They were just so enthralled by what was spoken. And so the Bible begins to speak in verse 43 that this grouping of people in the church, the synagogue, the people that come to the synagogue, that uh, the, 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 the crowd kind of broke up a little bit more, and there were some Jews, and there were some religious proselytes. The Bible says that followed Paul and Barnabas. And whenever they did this, Paul and Barnabas' words to them, 
They're following them. They're interested to hear the same thing next week. So they got a little gathering following them. And Paul and Barnabas' words to them was basically this. Guys, you just need to continue. You need to continue in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul had the understanding. Barnabas had the understanding. The understanding that they were trying to even share with people at this point in time is that, guys, we are saved by grace through faith, and so you need to just continue in that grace of God. And this may have been where the problem started to manifest itself for these few verses because the history, the background, the tradition of the Jews was this, is that we live according to, under, and by the law. Our salvation that we know is whenever you live closely enough to the law, then everything is well between you and God. But you're telling us that we need to continue by grace. Continue by grace. Remember, back in verse 39 of this chapter, whenever Paul was even preaching, he told them quite plainly, and emphatically that the law of Moses could never justify a person. Law of Moses could never justify a person. So in other words, if you guys are attempting to think that the law is going to cure or to be the solution or answer that you all need, he says, you're barking up a tree you're never going to reach the top of. He says, you need to continue in grace. Remember the scripture, Galatians 5 and verse 4 and just as a side note, speaking of Galatians, uh, we're, Paul and Barnabas are right now in Antioch of Poseidon. And the Poseidon is the region, but Poseidon is part of a bigger region called Galatia. And so whenever Paul later writes the book of Galatians, he is once again talking to the very same people he's talking to right now because they are in within that region. But nevertheless, Galatians 5 and 4, the Bible says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, Whosoever of you are justified by the law. Now, Paul says you, you can't be justified by the law. The law of Moses never justified anybody. He says, but if you tend to believe, he's saying in Galatians, that you are justified by the law, he said, you've fallen from grace. In other words, you're not continuing then in grace if you think your answer and solution is through and by the law. And so there's, Paul is trying to create by the Spirit of the Lord a paradigm shift among the Jewish nation who thought their answer was always in the law. He's trying to switch them. No, the law was just to bring you to a greater matter of grace. And he says, and when you continue in grace, he says, you'll find your true salvation that you need. But justification by the law, to think that, believe that, he said, you, you've fallen from you. You've pushed away from you. You've pulled yourself back from, really, really from grace. Amen. And to fall, the, the concept to fall from grace or fallen from grace, the word fallen is a word that finds its root uh, really from the language of sailors it would refer to a ship that's just basically off course. He's just saying you're off course uh, concerning grace if you think that the law is going to be your answer. So what happens in verse 44, the next Sabbath come. Amen. And the Gentiles are giddy because they're going to hear the same message that they asked to hear last week. <laughs> they're on the edge of their seat. They're leaning in. They're saying, tell us exactly what you told us last week. And so the next Sabbath came. But here's the scenario. Not the same people came. The Bible says almost the whole city has come together. In other words, these Gentiles have done some evangelizing, have done some soul winning, 
uh, efforts between last Sabbath and this Sabbath because now there's a larger crowd. Uh, almost the whole city has come uh, together and they're here to hear the word. Notice what they're here for. They're here to hear the word of God. Amen. And, and again, uh, we got to understand that Paul's speaking to these people. Barnabas is speaking to these people the exact same thing that they spoke the week before. And verse 45 tells us the Gentiles are going to listen to this. Some Jews have showed up. And the Jews, look what they notice. They notice the multitudes. That's what the Bible says. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, it's because of seeing the multitudes they were filled with envy. The multitude, they were filled with envy. So the reaction that they have toward Paul and Barnabas, and more importantly even, the reaction that they have toward the word that Paul and Barnabas is speaking is because the Gentiles have a larger crowd this week than what they had together last week. And because they were envious concerning the multitude, look what their reaction is. They begin to speak against those things that were spoken by Paul. They're sitting there and they are contradicting what Paul has to say. They're blaspheming what Paul has to say. Just for a little, little sidestep here tonight, uh, I think that this is very pertinent, evident, relevant even for today, and that is not even between denominations, but even within the apostolic faith, that whenever people are always ready to criticize the teaching of another church, when they see that they're growing in multitudes, and it's a sad day in the church, you hearing me? It's a, listen, if there is another apostolic church 20 miles from here that's growing faster and bigger than us, the last thing that we need to do is say, well, my God, I bet they're diluting things. They're probably not teaching holiness. No, 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 no. That is the last thing that needs to be done. Who knows? There might just be some people that's hungry for God that they made contact with. And that's the case here in the scriptures. Amen. But these Jews are filled or they controlled with, they're controlled with envy. And envy is nothing else, but they have feelings of covetousness with a regard to somebody else's success. Uh-huh. With somebody else's success. And so we look at verse 46, and the Bible says, whenever this starts to happen, and, and, and the thing that Paul's teaching and he's explaining is being contradicted and blasphemed. Notice, this is the same message, right? This is the same message that happened last week. The Jews were there last week. Nobody lifted a finger then. Nobody lifted a voice then. So the crux of it all really can't be what they were saying, but it was just the fact that there's a greater gathering than what there was last week. But the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, they wax bowed now. Because if the problem is with the multitude, keep it with the multitude and leave your finger off what we're saying. Because let's just get real here for a moment, folks. If we were to have that modern-day scenario and we start bad-talking another, another apostolic church because they're growing, because evidently their messages went helter-skelter, what are we doing for the integrity and character of that church by our words? And if the message is true, but we've made it untrue to other people that don't go there just because of our mouth, 
when the real issue is here, envy. Absolutely. Amen. And so, so Paul, Paul and Barnabas, they, they hit this problem. They, the Bible says they wax bowed, all right, and said it was necessary, and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, what they're doing here, they're bringing an accountability. They're bringing an accountability to the Jewish people. And we all need accountability in our life, saved and unsaved alike, where we are in the hierarchy of the kingdom of God. We all need accountability. And so what Paul and Barnabas is doing is this, and this is important, folks. If verse 46 is, is, is the, the, the climax of the lesson tonight, in my opinion. Amen. Paul is basically doing this. He's saying, you all have an undeniable human responsibility. You Jews, Gentiles, whoever you are, we all have an undeniable human responsibility in either accepting eternal life or rejecting eternal life. And much, listen, and much of that responsibility is how we respond to the Word of God. And I'm not talking about clapping, saying amen. I'm talking about how much we take the Word, apply it, internalize it for our life. If we accept what's written there and we apply it, we live by it or we reject it and we just push it off and ignore it as though it has no application for us. He says we have a human responsibility concerning eternal life. Here he's wanting to make a connection. Our choice for eternal life or not eternal life starts all the way back in how we accept or reject God's word. Now that's a big one. That's really a big one. To understand the seedbed of all that starts right back to this thing right here. The word of God. Amen. And he says, so we preach this to you first because that's the way the Lord said. Remember, he come to the lost house of Israel. That's the way this thing all started. He said, we came to you first. But he says, since you put it off, since you didn't receive it, he says, then we've turned now unto the Gentiles. And so now, he says, here's the dilemma, Jews. You're critical of these men and our teaching that was acceptable last week. You're critical of them because they are accepting and desiring what you've chosen to ignore. Huh? It's kind of like, for me, in, the, in a very easy, childlike analogy, it's like a kid who has a toy that has grown old with it and don't care anything about it. But you have a guest kid come over and start playing with the toy, and it's become their favorite thing. Huh? They put it off, but once someone takes interest in it, then they have a problem with the other one taking interest in what they're ignoring. So Paul says, you're being critical of these guys because now they're accepting and desiring what was first extended to you. He said, but you have rejected this. And now as a result of that, you're not just critical of them, but now you're being critical of the very message that you listened to very quite easily, quite frankly, last week because the results were different Now, with the same message that's spoken to them, but the results are different because the people's attitude toward the message is different. Said, you're upset because they're having different results. 
Because it's the same message. Why didn't that happen for us? Oh, let's think about this. It's not because we have a different message, but it's because the receptivity of the individual. People get sometimes frustrated when one thing concerning God's word works for somebody and then they have this perception, Brother Mason, well, that word didn't work for me. And it has nothing to do with the word. It has to do with the person receiving the word. Same precept, same principle, might soak in the ground on one area and be off a duck's back in another area and there's nothing wrong with the word. Has everything to do with the recipient of the word. Whether they are internalizing that or they're just ignoring that and criticizing that. And so he says, you started now to criticize the teachings because there's, there's results that seem to be different to you. Amen. But the unspoken again is this. The teachers are the same. The message is the same. The only thing that has changed is the receptivity of the hearer. Amen. And so Paul, though, makes a connection now. Again, Paul makes a connection between the Word of God and everlasting life. He said, you put it from you. The it he's talking about is the Word of God. Jews, you put it from you, and look what happens as a result. In doing so, you judge yourselves. You put it from you. In doing so, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. He makes a connection here between the Word of God and everlasting life. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 2, states these words, as newborn babes, Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word. And I heard you had some steak uh, during the morning uh, here all back. I listened to all three messages that I've missed uh, from last night. To, uh, I've listened to them at time and a half speed. If they don't preach too fast, I can do that. And so, I, so they, went, they went pretty quick. That I, uh, There was some steak that was being presented. Amen. But desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. That you may grow thereby. So the word is very instrumental in our growth process. Very instrumental in our growth process. Now, if I were to continue in First, First Peter 2, and I am just by means of summary, if I continue there after he says that, he goes on and he talks about that these, these believers have become lively stones. They're lively stones that have been chosen of God and that these lively stones make up a spiritual house unto the Lord and that these lively stones and these people uh, that are chosen of God, that Jesus Christ is precious. Everybody say precious. Jesus Christ is precious to them. <laughs> He's precious to them. And look at verse 7, 1 Peter 2, 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Jesus is precious but the contrast happens here. But unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed. Still talking about Christ. The same is made the head of the corner. Still talking about Christ. And a stone, a stumbling. Hold on. To those that are lively stones, to those, might I say, that are obedient, to those that desire the sincere milk of the word of God to grow thereby, Christ is precious, but to the disobedient, he becomes a stone of stumbling to them, verse 8, and a rock of offense to them, even to them which stumble, look, here it is, at the word, at the word, look, being disobedient, whereunto also ye were appointed. 
He says, now, 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 to the lively, to those that obey the word, to those that internalize the word, he is precious. But to the disobedient, the same stone, the same stone that became the head of the corner, the same stone that was the precious stone, now has become the stumbling stone. To a person, same stone, difference. One thinks he's precious. The other one doesn't have that high of estimation of him. One obeys him. One disobeys him. But it's the same stone. And it's the difference between, between being the chief cornerstone to that person or being a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, offense rather, to that person. And so we understand this. Amen. Even those, he says, that stumble at the word. The way they stumble, look, is they stumble at the word disobedience to the word you cannot be obedient to christ and be disobedient to his word neither can you be disobedient to his word and not be obedient to christ those are just two things that are just like this it's an impossibility to disobey one and obey the other he says so the way in which you have stumbled even look at verse 8 again even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient it's given us an indication it's given us the the the, the purpose or what we are doing concerning the stumbling at the word we're disobedient to the word look at verse 9 look at verse 9 but ye it's switching back now He's talking about those that thought he was precious. Then he talked about those that didn't think he was precious. Now he's switching back to those that thought he was precious, the ones who obeyed the word, the ones who gravitate toward the word. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shoot forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into this his rather marvelous light. Folks, there is a vast difference. There is a vast difference between those who obey the word and those who disobey the word. Write this down. People who constantly stumble at the word will stumble in their relationship with God. They will stumble in the relationship with God and quote unquote be easily offended. However, those who embrace the word Man, look at all these adjectives. They develop into the chosen, the royal, the holy, the peculiar people that God desires for them to be. They benefit from the work of the word in their lives. There is a connection, we'll get there, between this word and this everlasting life. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse number 13, uh, and in Ephesians 1, we've, we've done a, a series on the book of Ephesians. And this first chapter has a lot of these in whom. It's like a run-on sentence. Paul, son, whenever he got to writing, he started writing, he didn't know where to put a period. I mean, he just goes on and on, has parentheses, and does, he just goes, son. It's a run-on. And so whenever we start up in verse 13, it says in whom. It's referring all the way back to Jesus Christ. And he starts the chapter off talking about. So in whom, or Jesus Christ, he says, ye the, you, you, you Ephesian believers, ye also trusted. Note the next word, after. Everybody say after. In Jesus Christ, ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. He said the gospel of your salvation in whom, again, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ also after, everybody say after, that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise. 
So, Brother Greg, they trusted in Jesus. That happened after they heard the word of God, the gospel of salvation. For that matter, belief in Jesus, belief in Jesus, amen, that resulted in faith, might I say, that resulted in obedience to the degree even of receiving the Holy Spirit of promise or what we would call the Holy Ghost, amen, that all of that that we have or that we, 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 and we must have. The Bible says we must have the Holy Ghost. Romans, Romans 8 9 tells us that if we have not the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. So, so it's necessary. We must have that. But nevertheless, whenever we believe in Jesus that resulted in faith and obedience and us receiving the Holy Ghost, amen, that happened. All of this happened. That, that Holy Ghost experience happened after our belief. Everybody say belief. You understand? Receiving the Holy Ghost happened after our belief. I believe it's Hebrews that says, he that comes to God must believe that he is. You're not even going to approach a God that you don't believe in. And so receiving the Holy Ghost comes after our belief because we wouldn't even approach him if we didn't believe in him. I'm, I'm taking scriptures and I'm just kind of putting them together like Legos, okay? All right, we'll see a building here in just a minute. <laughs> you all right? Anybody got a yellow piece? I need some yellow pieces, okay? Nevertheless, Amen. And so we, we put these together. And so, so that happened after their belief. Well, my Bible tells me in Romans 10 and verse 14, these are a popular setting of Scripture. I'm kind of jumping in a little bit of the middle of them. Romans 10 verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how are we go, going to get to this belief? I mean, if the Holy Ghost and all this experience happens after belief, how do we get to the belief? Well, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe? In him of whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach what? Ooh, we got some word in there. How, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. 16, we'll read it and then I'll comment on it later. But they, Paul says, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith the Lord who hath believed our report. So do you follow here in Romans 10 this progression or this origin of belief? So before we have, before we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that Ephesians spoke of, that happens after belief. But we somehow have to get to belief. And the Bible says they couldn't believe if they had not heard. And they wouldn't be able to hear if someone didn't preach it. And the man wouldn't be able to preach it had he not been sent. And then it says, well, this man comes and his feet are with the glad tidings of the peace of the gospel, the word. And so if I stretch all the way back to a point of origin, my belief is greatly founded upon then a preaching of the word. The preaching of the word generates belief. Then after belief comes then the opportunity to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which I must have to see God. Which I must have for eternal. You're starting to see a connection here between the word and between eternal life. So we have a progression. So their trust in the Lord and belief unto salvation can be tied back then, if you will, to the word of God. And again, note verse 16 of Romans 10 because the Apostle Paul is underscoring this element again that he's doing in Acts 13 concerning human will, human responsibility. Because after he says all this stuff concerning this is how belief comes about, you have to have a preacher, he's got to be sinned, he's preaching the gospel, he sums it all up and says, but they have not all obeyed. 
know what he's saying? He's saying you can have a preacher bearing the word. He can be sent. He can preach. They can hear. And they, all this can happen. But, is it, you still got it up there? But they not all obey the gospel. And if they don't obey what they have heard, that stone becomes a stone of offense to them and becomes a stone of stumbling to them and putting it off. Putting it off. Now we shove belief aside. We shove opportunity to be unsealed by that one Holy Ghost that we all need or we're none of His. We have, we have according to Acts, judged ourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Judged ourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We rob ourselves. You understand that? We rob ourselves of salvation, having already judged ourselves unworthy of everlasting life when we obey not the gospel. There's even this continuing aspect that Paul and Barnabas told the people concerning continuing in the grace of God back in verse 43 that we read whenever they were departing and breaking up and some people were following them, they said continue in the grace of God. It can also likewise be tied to the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 14, Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the gospel, he tells Timothy these words. He says, Timothy, but continue. If you, if you look at the verses prior to that, and I'll just go there real quick so I can give a summarization. I guess I should have wrote it in my notes. But just a little summarization before that. The reason why he starts out with that, that, uh, that, that conjunction there in verse number 14 uh, of but. He's talking about evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's talking about suffering persecution. But in amongst all that, then he says, Timothy, but you, imperative, it's you. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and thou hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Look at verse 15. And that from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are, everybody say, able. The holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know what? You know what Paul's telling Timothy? Timothy says that word of God that you have been taught from a young child that is able is able to make you wise into the point of salvation to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's able. Every word, the word of God is able to take anybody and is able to do that for anybody if they are obedient rather than disobedient to that word. To that word. Amen. They're able to make thee. You, Timothy, or anyone for that matter, wise into salvation. And so if that's the case, then just on, you know, the human side of me then is, is deducing that the neglecting of such then would have the opposite effect. All right? Or no effect for that matter. And so Paul and Barnabas, since the Jews, since you guys ignored it, since you put it off from you, we have turned to the Gentiles. Remember, from the very beginning when they started this first missionary trip and went to Cyprus, amen, remember they were met by a Jewish false prophet. 
and a Gentile man that was hungry for God. And the false prophet Bar Jesus is trying to pervert what? The right ways of the Lord, and there's a hungry Gentile there. And so even from the go, he says, you have been turning this thing aside, and so we're going to turn toward the Gentile. Look at verse number 47, if you will, back in Acts 13. And so Paul and Barnabas go on and said, hey, just, just, just in case it appears like we've decided to do this turning on our own. Just in case it feels like we're being respecter of persons and we, we shooed you this and we extended this to you first and now we're saying forget you, we're going over here. Just in case that seems to be how it is. He said, let it be known that the Lord has commanded us of this. The Lord has commanded this of us. And he goes back and he pulls a scripture uh, from Isaiah, Isaiah 49 and 6. He kind of restates it here in verse 47. But in Isaiah 49 and 6, this is what it originally said. And he said, it is a light thing that thou, speaking of Christ, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. He said, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation and to the end of the earth. Paul says, listen, he says, this, this is an our idea this is a God idea God even wanted his own son that hey he would also be a light unto the Gentiles and not just to the Jew alone so don't think we're playing favorites here don't think that we're just turning of our own means we have been commanded of the Lord and the Bible says and I think I would join them if I was them Bible says when the Gentiles heard this they were glad <laughs> they were glad amen that the spirit of the Lord had done such a thing and the Bible says they glorified the word of God they glorified the word of God. So this isn't a conversation that was taking place in secret. The Gentiles overheard the talk. The Gentiles were privy to the discussion that were taking place. They were glad. And they had it right. The Gentiles had their response right. It didn't say they snubbed the Jews. It didn't say that they glorified Paul and Barnabas. It said they made the right connection. They glorified the word of God. And look, 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 look. Look at the little phrase there in verse 48, the last phrase. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. In other words, those who were ordained believed. Those who ordained believed. Now, there are some that, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just reading through the lens of society. There are some that might try to take that phrase and might try to manipulate that to mean that certain people are ordained to eternal life while others are predestined or ordained to eternal damnation. That they're brought in this world and you're going to hell and you're going to heaven and that's just the way it goes. But again, Paul emphasizes that we have a choice. We have a human responsibility in the matter. The word ordained in verse number Verse number uh, 48, the word ordained in the Greek means this. It means to place in a certain order or to arrange. To, to place in a certain order or to arrange. Remember, this, this, this saying these, as many as ordained to eternal life believe, this is speaking of those that glorified the word of the Lord. It's speaking about these Jews that had glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, just, just, here's a break. Just walk with me. I haven't said that in a while. All right. Just walk with me here. We'll, we'll resurrect it, I suppose. Since they received the word of God, these Gentiles, because they had, since they received the word of God, and as a result, thus, according to Scripture, trust comes after that. Trust in the word of God. Believe in Jesus. And even us, whenever we receive the Holy Ghost, when we're sealed with that, 
Holy Spirit of promise. We state it like this. Whenever that happens, it sets us in a direction and arranges us in a position for eternal life. Right? Is this making sense? It, 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 whenever, when it, whenever sinful Paul McGee repented of his sins, got baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, whenever that happens, that ordains me or arranges me or directs me for eternal life. But I must, everybody say, continue. But I must continue. In other words, this is the destiny for anyone that's arranged or ordered in that direction or in that path. Let, let me bring it to an analogy basis, maybe where we can put our minds around this a little bit better. At this time of year, of course, there's graduations taking place. High school people graduating. We got some of the church that's going to be graduating. Yeah, we're going to congratulate the graduate, all right? Amen. We'll get that right. Amen. But nevertheless, and since this time of year, Brother Mason, it caused me to think of this analogy that might be able to help us this evening. Uh, it's almost like students that, that you know, in their high school years, I, I'm just going off of my own personal experience. They used to have, whenever we started as freshmen, certain paths, courses, lessons, criteria that you could take if you had an ultimate goal, per se, of being a mathematician or being a part of an honors program in college, that your counselor would tell you, if you take this set or grouping of classes, that prepares you, that directs you in this, per se, direction. And so at this time of year, there might be some students that are graduating that have invested the past four years of their life with a certain, certain classes, uh, taken uh, particularly devised courses, if you will, that may have set some of them up for majors in mathematics in college or, or, or to be a part of an honors program in colleges. Or, or some of them are just basic criteria for even furthering their education beyond high school to enter college in and of itself. Now, here's the thing. The end result is not set in stone. At the freshman entry level starting the, the courses of action. It's not set in stone. Just because you take the classes and you have the courses and you do all of that, it's not set in stone because a person could take all the courses that has arranged them, set them in the direction for a mathematic major in college and come at the end of graduation. You say, you know what, I think I'm just going to go work at Arby's. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, just because they were set in that direction and ordained, if you will, or arranged for that direction, it's not set in stone. Why? Because human will still comes into play. Human will still comes into play. And, but a person with, with these certain classes and certain courses in high school, they might be ordained, they might be placed in order and range for an honors program in college if they continue on through that. And so with that being said for our scripture tonight, those who were ordained for eternal life are those who, who, who believed, who trusted in the Lord, amen, they are different from those who already judged themselves unworthy for everlasting life, who did not believe. They are just set on a path because of their belief, their trust in the Lord. They are arranged toward that direction, but that's not to say they'll reach it if they don't continue. If somewhere along the way they start disobeying rather than obeying. All right? So we're not setting up here tonight. I'm not predestining anybody for heaven or predestining anybody for hell. You're doing that in your everyday life. God's not predestining you. This pastor's not predestining you. But you are destined in your own life. 
by how you respond to the word, how you respond to the God of the word. You can receive the Holy Ghost. He'll arrange you. He'll get you set in the right direction for the right path. And it will be beneficial if you continue. But if you choose to go to Arby's, you're going to be at Arby's. You ain't going to be a mathematician. Does that, does that make sense? Verse 49, i got to hurry. We'll do it. You see how many verses are there. We'll go quick. The word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. It was published. Was published. Basically means this. I just want to pull this word out of this one verse. It means it was carried different ways in different directions to different places. Son, it, it proliferated the whole region. Now look, 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 look at verse 50. The Jews were not happy with what was taking place. We already know that. But you know what they did? They found them some devout and honorable women. They found some chief men of the city. They raised a persecution. Boy, this ain't the first time Paul and Barnabas have been under this type of gun. And they expelled them out of their... The Jews are stirring up trouble again. When are... I don't know. You'd think they'd learned it by now, all right? Paul just has got done preaching a message about, you know what? There was one time that you stirred up a bunch of trouble, and the end of it was that you crucified your Messiah. Now, you think you'd learn from something like this. Whenever you guys start stirring up trouble, good things do not happen. Amen. And, and it's quite self-inflicting. But they, and they know how to stir up trouble. Let me tell you, people, when they stir up trouble, they know how to stir up trouble. They do it at the top. They convince the influential leaders and the devout and the honorable women, the chief men of the city, and they say, let's just take care of business through this. And this really goes all the way back to them once again being envious of the multitudes. They were unhappy that the teachings of the gospel, here's what it comes out, they were they're unhappy that the teaching of the gospel was getting more attention than their laws of circumcision and washings, all right? All these tradition and ceremonial things. So what do they do? They do the most effective thing that they know to do. Although we didn't raise, although we didn't have no problem with the message since this is happening, we'll attack the message. We'll attack the word because it all flows from there. Because if you can get a good connection with the word, what happens? You destine somebody and arrange them and ordain them for eternal life. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they, they succumb to this persecution. They're expelled from the city. But here's the good news. We talked about this two weeks ago. They're expelled from the city. But you know what's already happened? They've cast seed. They've cast seed. It's landed on ground. It's been planted and it's flourished. And look at verse 52. Not only were the disciples that were left filled with joy, but they were also filled with what? The Holy Ghost. The Word had done its perfect work. It had been planted. And remember? Remember when we, we did a little parable of, of the sower a couple of weeks ago? Remember that the adversary, what does he want us to do concerning the Word? He wants you to question the Word. He wants you to doubt the Word. He wants you to uh, deny the Word because it has severe implications. Because if he can get somebody to do that, what happens? They judge themselves unworthy for eternal life. Now note, I, I am closing. Note how these two respond to this being expelled. They say they shook off, verse 51, the dust of their feet against them, against the people that have been critical, against these people that have done what they have done. They shook off the dust of their feet against them. This is something that Jesus had told his disciples even in his earthly ministry. You go to a city and to a house and you speak peace to it and if it doesn't receive your peace, receive it back and shake the dust, he said, of your feet off on them and just move on. Here is, here is the concept and the idea around this. It was customary for Jews in particular to shake off the dust of their feet 
whenever they had been in a pagan town or a pagan city, so that whenever they returned to their own land, they did not want to take any particle of that heathen pagan land back with them. So it was a symbol of them of cleansing themselves from the impurity of the sinful land that they had been a part of and that it would remain because they did not worship God. But in this case, Paul and Barnabas are cleansing themselves because these are Jewish people they're doing this against. They're cleansing themselves of a people that are bent and determined to reject God's word, therefore God. And whenever you come down to it, there isn't a whole lot of difference then between them and a pagan. Because if you reject God, you are worshiping something. Because you cannot damn up, stop, or prohibit worship. Every individual on this earth is worshiping something. So if you are not worshiping God and you reject Him, you're worshiping something. Something. And so, and I close, and you can stand with me. So first and foremost tonight is a misconception to believe that we can accept God aside from God's word. It's a misconception. Or that we can accept his word aside from accepting God. They are one and the same. I'm going to close with this one verse of scripture, last verse of scripture that I have here tonight of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 in verse number 8. Now there, there are of course several verses leading up to this because we're at verse number 8 so that's a given but nevertheless this is what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica the Thessalonians. He says he therefore that despiseth and that really refers back to the verses prior to verse number 8. Because prior to verse number 8, he even tells us in verse number 2, he tells them, for you know what the commandments we have gave you by the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to start to tell what some of those commandments are. You know what the commandments are. And so when he gets to verse 8, he's telling them, he therefore that despiseth, the, 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 the unwritten known is here, he that despiseth the commandments that we have already spoken to you of the Lord. He that despiseth the commandments of the Lord despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us of his Holy Spirit. And so here is the connection again. He says, when you, when you despise the commands of God, or if we can get even closer, when you despise God's word, you've not despised man, the proclaimer of the word, but you have despised God. You despise God's word, you have despised God. Brother Greg, when we do that, we've cut ourselves off from trust, cut off ourselves from belief. We have judged. You know, people say, don't judge me. We're not, honey. You've judged yourself. You've judged yourself unworthy of everlasting I'm not telling you you're unworthy. I'm not telling you you're unworthy of everlasting life. But whenever you reject what he's trying to extend to you, you've judged yourself worthy of everlasting life, and thus the great divide of humanity. Those who are obedient, those who are disobedient. Those who see him as precious, those that look upon him with a disdainful eye. Those that he is a chief cornerstone, and those to whom he is a stone, a stumbling. Amen unto. Next week, you're hearing this from my lips, we're going to chapter 3. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.